book of John. Right there, verse 1 is where we'll start, John chapter 13. If you're, if you're there, say amen. amen. Right. Also, we've added somebody to our security detail. Uh, Johnny Murphy is now a black belt, so just he's, so, you know, give him some, give him a little. He's going out to uh, do a sweep, you know, he's going to go check out what's going on. Uh, John chapter 13 is where we are today. And uh, we're looking at the upper room now. We've, we've pivoted to the upper room now. And this is really instructions to the disciples now, people that are following Christ. Uh, it's not the same as what he preached to the masses and the multitudes. And uh, in that same upper room where we learn about the love of Christ or the love Christ has for his own, verse 1, in that same upper room, the next lesson we get is disciples. The disciples then learn about the love they should have for each other. They come one after each other. And right there in John chapter 13, the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives his disciples an example of how they should love one another. Read verse 1. I'm going to read a chunk here just to give you the narrative. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And that's a good little plug right there. If you're not washed from your sins, you're not partaking with Christ at all. Uh, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter, he's, he sounds Italian. Then Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Okay, if I got to get washed to be with you, then scrub me down, Lord. Verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed needeth not. You don't need to wash yourself again. Needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, these are the disciples, an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Did you just take in what just happened? The Lord of the universe has just picked the dirt between the toes of some salty fishermen. The one who hung the stars also is getting in there between the pinky toe and that other toe and trying to scrape out all the gunk that they'd accumulated walking the streets of Jerusalem. Just take that in. Fathom that. 
Now, many years ago, we volunteered in a prison, and they did a foot washing service. And, you know, we had to get down on it. Some of us tried to, we tried to avoid it, but we literally got down on our hands and knees, and we washed the feet of these inmates that we were in the chapel with. And it was an interesting experience. But I'm just a jerk washing another jerk's feet. This is God washing the feet of some sinful, salty fishermen that were about to betray him. And if Christ could love you like that, shouldn't Christians love each other like that? Verse 16, verse 16, verily, verily, truly, truly, it's like him saying, hey, yo, listen up. I say unto you, the servant, that's, Jesus, uh, that's the disciples, is not greater than his Lord, that's Jesus, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. He's saying, if you want to be happy, you got to follow in my steps. You want to have joy, it's got to be Jesus, others, and then yourself. You got to love each other the way Jesus Christ loved you. So as we move into this upper room, In that upper room, the first thing we see that disciples got to get is the love of Christ. That's the first verse talks about the love of Christ. Christians, that's the first thing you got to get. How much Jesus Christ is head over heels, knocked down crazy in love with you right now. You got to grasp that. But then right after that, the next thing disciples need to understand is the love of Christians how that's supposed to spill over and affect the way we deal with each other. So listen, let me ask you some questions out loud. Are you Jesus Christ's disciple? Say amen. Okay. Do you know the love of Christ a little bit? All right. Okay. Okay. Do you have the love of Christians for your brethren? Do you have the love Christians are supposed to have for their brethren in that upper room? That's what we're going to talk about today. Not the love of Christ, per se, but the love of Christians. The love of Christians. Let's let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for this space today, for this opportunity to preach and teach and listen to your word. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, you might allow us to learn something, that we might treat each other the way we're supposed to treat each other, and this church might grow the way it's supposed to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes, Eugene, I'm waving you in. Come in, don't be nervous, all right? All right, Uh, number one, all right, number one, all right? Jesus Christ's disciples are supposed to love each other. I'm gonna give you three reasons. Are supposed to love each other because it's commanded of us. (laughs) This ain't an option, all right? Number one, we're supposed to love each other like Jesus Christ loves us because we're commanded to. Number one, look at John chapter 13. Look at verse 34. You want to see some verses? I'll show you. Look at verse 34. 34, same chapter. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. All right, go to John chapter 15. I'm going to just show you that he says it over and over and over again. It's a commandment. John chapter 15, verse number 12. There it is again. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Go to 1 John, which is towards the back of your Bible. Same author, the apostle John. But 1 John, 
He's so overwhelmed with this John, he writes about it in his little epistle too. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 23. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says again, and this is his, watch it, commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Chapter 4, verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now go to Second John, which is maybe across the page. Second John, verse 5. Here it is again. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Are we getting the picture? <laughs> God gave disciples a commandment to love each other. It's not a suggestion. And I want you to please notice that this commandment was given to whom? It was given to John. John is a type of the church. John is a picture of the church. What is John's favorite name? He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. What does the Bible say of the church in Ephesians 5? Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So that beloved disciple is a picture of the beloved church that we are today. And John got the command, you better love each other. And we got that command. We're supposed to love each other. Now, I know for all my Bible students in the room, I know that there is a future and a double application to John's writings. There's an application now, and there's an application in the tribulation. And I recognize that there is a future application for all this stuff in 1 John that's going to apply to the tribulation when those Jewish brethren better love each other like crazy because the world's going to be against them, and the Antichrist is going to be against them, and those Jewish believers that are huddling together, they better love each other like crazy because nobody else is going to love them. So that's like the future application. But if you're saved, can I get an amen? amen? Okay. If you're saved, you're in the family of God right now. And if you're not saved, you're not. We're not all children of God. Only those who are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And if you've been saved by faith in Christ Jesus, you're in the family of God right now. You're all brethren. You're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You're all the family. If you're saved, we're supposed to be loving each other, not dysfunctional. You notice this commandment was given to John. John was the one who heard the heartbeat of God. Isn't that interesting? The one that heard God's heart was the one that kept telling people, love your brother, love your brother, love your brother, love your brother, love your brother. Because if you could hear the heartbeat of God, you know what it'd say to you? Love your brother. Love your brother. Love your brother the way I have loved you. And notice, please, it's a commandment. Do I have to break that word down for you? It's not a suggestion. It's not something you try. It has nothing to do with your personality. Well, I don't have a loving personality. Well, then repent. Right? You're not supposed to have your personality. You're supposed to be taking on the personality of Christ and the qualities of Christ and being conformed to Christ. And Christ loved you. Are you becoming more like him? That you should be loving each other. You wouldn't dare ignore the commandments that say, don't commit adultery and don't kill. Right? 
You wouldn't dare ignore those. You wouldn't dare treat those lightly. No matter how fast that person cut you off on the parkway, you're not going to gun them down. Go, I'm not supposed to kill them. I'm not supposed to kill them. I'm not supposed to kill them. Why then would you treat God's commandment to love each other any lightly? Why does God's commandment to love one another the way he loves you any less of a commandment than thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not commit adultery? It's the same God. It's the same one who decreed the commandment. I was just thinking about this. Isn't it sad that you have to be ordered to love your family in Christ? Isn't that strange? Isn't it crazy that you have to be commanded to love the body of Christ? I think God had to put that commandment in there because he knows our flesh. He knows we're selfish. He knows we're self-centered. He knows we're just, you're like me, we're jerks. At the end of the day, we're just selfish, self-centered jerks. I know not you. I know you got the halo and the sparrows singing around your ears right now, you know, how great thou art. But you know what? Like most of us, we get to be selfish. We tend to be self-absorbed. It's me, 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 I, I, I. And God said, I know their flesh. I know they're saved, but they still got their flesh. I got to put a command in there to make sure they don't miss the fact that they're supposed to love one another. And what kind of commandment is it? It's said over there, it's a new commandment. It's different than what God told Israel to do in the old commandment. In the old commandment, in the Old Testament, Leviticus said, the law commanded Israel to love thy neighbor as thyself. Right? We remember those famous lines. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus said, loving your neighbor as yourself was the second great commandment in the law. He says it was a big deal. But Jesus Christ gave his disciples a new commandment with a new motivation and a new passion and a new zeal. Because in the Old Testament, you kept the old commandment. Why? Out of fear. It was demanded of you, and if you stepped out of line, there was hell to pay. You had to keep those commandments and walk in that law to show yourself righteous before God, and it was compulsory. It was demanded of you. Thou shalt this, and thou shalt not that, and you had to walk that line. But in the new commandment, now you're supposed to keep this out of love, not out of fear. Not because God's going to crack you, because you've tasted the love God had for you. And how does it not spill over to the brother or sister that sits beside you right now? How can it not just spill over this whole congregation? How could the love of God be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost and not touch another person that's supposed to be so close to us, in the same body with us, in the same family with us? Oh, yeah, I'm going in there hard today, man, because we're, we're supposed to love each other, man. I like doctrine, too, but this is some stuff that's real Christianity here. This is real putting this faith in action. In giving is, des- it's supposed to be desired of, by you, not just demanded of you. You're supposed to want to do this. Jesus Christ, in giving his disciples a new commandment, he gave them a new goal. A new purpose. It's the Old Testament. Oh, man, that was rough, that Old Testament. The Bible says the Old Testament, the law worketh wrath. It was about judgment. It was about guiltiness. In fact, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 3, says it was the ministration of death. You know what the law was there? To show you that you're guilty, guilty, guilty. The law was about your guilt. Romans 3 says the law was given that every mouth may be stopped 
and all the world may become guilty before God. I think it's Romans 5 says that by the commandment, sin might become exceeding sinful. It's supposed to show you you're not good, you need help, you need Jesus Christ, you need a Savior. That was the law. It was about, it screamed from Sinai, guilty, guilty, you're guilty. That was what the law was about. It wasn't uplifting. It was to kind of put an impediment between you and God. In Romans 7, Paul writes that sin by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. You reach for that thing and the Bible said, thou shalt not. And you're like, oh, it got me again. Thou shalt not. Oh, it got me again. Thou shalt not. Oh, it got me again. I'm not innocent. I'm guilty. That was the old commandment. That was the old way God was doing things. But now the new commandment is supposed to be about life. It's supposed to be the spirit giving us life. It's supposed to be about us, not your guilt, but it's supposed to be about your growth. Speaking the truth in love, we're supposed to grow up together unto him. We're supposed to be growing a holy temple unto the Lord with the Holy Spirit's help and ministry through us. You see the difference? Why it's so new? It's not the old thing of death. It's new. It's life. It's growth. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Let me let you look at a verse so you don't keep looking at me. 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We shouldn't be surprised if a crazy guy comes out on his stoop and says, don't step on my property. Don't touch my camouflage Santa Claus over here. You know, don't do that stuff. I'm going to shoot you, right? We shouldn't be surprised by that. Marvel not if the world hates you, if they leave some nasty message that says, I'm a spiritual person, but I don't appreciate you peddling your faith by putting a bag on my door. I mean, we get those things all the time. I'm not surprised by that. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. I want to challenge you today. Are you helping another brother grow? Are you abiding in death? Are you loving on each other? Are you hating on each other? You say, well, I don't hate them. Hate in the Bible is just loving them less than they should be loved. That's all hate is in the Bible. It doesn't mean you kick them down the stairs when they're leaving the building. It means you just don't love them the way they should be loved. He that hateth father and mother more than he that loveth father, except you hate father and mother, you have no, you can't be my disciple. What was he saying? You can't love your mother and father as much as you love me. And you're supposed to be loving your disciples the way Jesus Christ loved you. And anything less, you're hating them. Yeah, I know. That's not fun either. (laughs) I know. But that's just how God puts it right there. What spirit are you of? I wouldn't want to be of Cain's spirit. That was a very different spirit Cain was walking by. Cain was hating on his brother, envious of his brother, wanted to put his brother down. What are you like? You looking to build your brother up? You looking to help him or her grow? Can I tell you something? That, that, that critical spirit, that, that suspicious eye, that guarding yourself and keeping people at arm's length, 
That's that curiosity and that, that doubtfulness that with which we look upon each other, that's as bad as you taking a knife to their back. Because that guilty criticism, if you're always looking at each other to see where they're guilty, you're abiding in death. But you're supposed to be looking as to where they can grow. How can you help? Where can you buttress them? Where can you repair some breaches? How can I pray for you? We're supposed to be helping us grow, not be blasted down. Jesus Christ's new commandment is about getting disciples ready because the church was coming soon. The church, the body of Christ was going to be born in a little while. So Jesus Christ's new commandment is getting the disciples ready for a new attitude, a new perspective with which they were going to look upon each other and relate to each other and love each other. Remember the Old Testament said, love thy what as thyself? What did it say? Love thy neighbor. Love the person that's close to you but still outside the family. The neighbor was like somebody from another country or a Gentile or somebody that would come along and live near you, but they weren't necessarily of your tribe, of your family, or of your people, but they chose to live alongside you like the Egyptians were first called their neighbors, right? They were Gentiles that were rolling up near them and they wanted to maybe live among them and they're sometimes called neighbors. And if somebody's gonna be close to you like that, yeah, you should love them as yourself and have that, 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 that peacefulness together. But in the New Testament, we're not just loving neighbors, We're loving the brethren. You're supposed to love the brother who's a part of your body, who's in the same body as you, who's in the same family as you. That's closer than a neighbor. That's a part of you. That's a part of this thing. That's in the family of God. What does the Bible say in Romans 12, 5? We being many are one body in Christ. And everyone... Even you over there and you over here. Everyone members one of another. Folks, we're in this thing together. (laughs) Right? This is a local church, but we're a part of this universal church. We're part of the body of Christ, that spiritual organism. Everybody that's saved has been baptized into Christ the moment you got saved. The Holy Spirit took you out of Adam and put you into Christ, and we're members one of another. We're members of Christians in India. We're members of Christians in Staten Island. We're members of Christians over there on the other side of the world in the Philippines and Haiti. We're part of this organism together. And locally right here, we're in this thing together here. You know what the Bible says about your body? Ephesians 5. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. I bet when you looked in the mirror today, you didn't slap yourself in the face. You said, you look pretty good, fella. Let me brush my teeth. Let me comb my hair, right? You didn't sit there and, you know, reach for a ding-dong yesterday and say, bad, bad, you're bad. No, you just kind of said... Thank you. Oh, and rub that stuff all over your face and threw that thing down, right? You pamper your flesh. You take care of your flesh. You cater to your flesh. You don't hate your body. John chapter 15. Let me show you something here. Am I making any sense here? All right. You're a tad quiet, but that's okay. I I don't mind. John 15. Look at 17. John 15, 17. Jesus again, upper room, talking to his disciples. These things I command you that ye love one another. <laughs> if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, 
the world would love his own. Isn't that sad? The world loves his own. Man, the basketball team loves the basketball team. And the guys at the lodge love the guys at the lodge. And the guys in the firehouse, you know what they call each other? Brother. My brother. You know, I even got teachers that make, how's it going, brother? I'm like, brother, you're, what are you talking about? Right, but, but there's that camaraderie, right? Brother this, brother that. The world knows that, right? We're in the union together. This is my brother, right? The, the brotherhood of, you know, local 12.65815, right? Whatever it is, right? The, the brotherhood of this and the brotherhood of that. They ain't your brothers. These are your brothers. And if the world knows how to love his own, alone, shame on us that we don't know how to love each other. The world does. Because when you go back to the world, they greet you with open arms. You go back to the bar, you go back to the pig pen, they celebrate you, they say, oh, he's back, she's back, look at this, another round on me, let's get together, let's fellowship, they'll call you up, they'll pursue you. The world knows how to love each other. Why don't Christians know how to love each other? Jesus says the world loves on each other, how come you guys, you need to love on each other? You know what too many Christians do? They cut off their nose to spite their face. That old expression, cutting off your nose to spite your face. You know what that means? You're hurting somebody else, but you're really hurting yourself. And when you hurt the body, you know what you're hurting? You're hurting yourself. Because if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. We're members one of another. Guess what? If you got a toothache, Oh, the whole body feels it, right? You got a broken foot, or you got a a pain in your hip, or you got a pain in your shoulder, or you got a a sore this or a sore that, or you got something going on in your bone marrow, guess what? Your whole body feels it. And brethren, when we suffer and you hurt this body, guess what? You hurt yourself. You make us all weaker. You make us all pulled down. And when you have victory, we're all doing better. When you're doing better... How can you love Jesus Christ and claim to love Jesus Christ without loving his body? How is that possible? It's the body of Christ. The brethren, the body of Christ. How can you say, oh, I love Christ, but I hate the brethren? That don't work. You know what? It's twisted. We would call it abuse. And we see this sadly sometimes. People say, oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. And you slap that person in the face. It's twisted to say, I love you, Will I abuse your body? No matter how much you cry, I don't want to do that again. You say, you don't really love me. You're a monster, right? How can you say you love somebody while you abuse their body? It's, it's villainous. How can you and I say we love God and we abuse and we hurt his body? It doesn't work. We're commanded to love one another. That's number one. Here's number two. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Reason number one. Disciples are supposed to love each other because it's commanded. It's a shame he had it commanded, but it's commanded. But it's a new commandment. First uh, John 3. Number two, Christ's disciples are supposed to love each other because it's compelling. It's irresistible. It's, it's persuasive to other people. It shows that you love God when we see you loving the brethren the way they're supposed to be loved. 1 John chapter 3 says it right there in verse 16. Here's another John 3.16. But 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives 
for the brethren. The love of Christians for each other helps us understand the love of Christ. That's how I perceive it. That's how I understand it. That's how I can fathom it. What did Jesus say? We read the verses earlier. Love one another as I love you. Love one another the same way I love you. That's what he said. As, right? When you see that word as in your Bible, it means the same way. Love one another as I loved you. How did Jesus Christ love us? Look at, uh, don't look anywhere. He loved us sacrificially. How can I grasp the sacrifice an invisible God made for me 2,000 years ago? It's completely abstract. I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't taste it, I can't, you know, sense it. It's a completely abstract thing. I read about in a book the Savior of the world taking on flesh to die and sacrifice himself for me. How do I perceive that? How do I reach out and touch that? How do I grasp that? How do I fathom that? How do I understand that? By sacrificing for my brother. By laying something down for your brother or having your brother lay something down for you, that's what that verse says, is how you can fully understand and perceive and grasp the love Christ has for you. Just read it. It's right there. Just read it. You know what they used to do? I mentioned this guy's name, Richard Wormbrand. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. You should read it. Tortured. Tortured for Christ, yes. Harlan Popov wrote Tortured for His Faith. I always get them mixed up. And Richard Wormbrand wrote Tortured for Christ. Great book. I think if you go, you can get it free online. They give it away. But Tortured for Christ tells the story of Richard Wormbrand, a Romanian pastor who was tortured and beaten by the communists. Great political system, by the way. Not. All right, tortured by the communists under, uh, for 14 years. You know what they do? They hang him upside down by his hands and his feet. They put his bare feet, and they take his bare feet exposed like that. They take like a metal rod or a bamboo pole and beat the bottom of his feet. You ever see that? Beating the bottom of You ever like jump off a stoop onto a piece of concrete barefoot and just feel that shockwave go through your body? Imagine a metal pipe just whacking across the bottom of your feet. They'd beat this guy. They'd torture this guy. You know what they torture him for? They torture him to give up the names of your other brethren. Give up the names of the other believers. Give us some names. Give us some names. And, and, and Wormbrand would write about trying to hold out, trying to hold out, trying to hold out. And then, and then it would get so bad, he'd give in and give them fake names to try to like, you know, just get them off his back for a little while. But you know what that is? That's what that verse is talking about. Laying down his life for the brethren. Now in the tribulation... That stuff may literally start coming true. And in other parts of the world, that stuff is coming true. But in America right now, what is it? Maybe a few bucks. Maybe a little patience. What does verse number 17 say? Right? 17 says, But whoso hath this world's good, you got a little time, you got a little money, you got a little energy, you got a little bit of resource, and seeth his brother have need... And shutteth up his bowels of compassion. Those are his insides from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? I'm not asking you to get beaten by a metal pipe across your feet. But if you can't give up anything for your brother, a little bit of time. The question is, do you really know the love of God? How can you know the love of God if you're so hard to your brethren? How can you say, I've tasted and seen the Lord is good and blessed God if you're so callous to the ones that are his body all around you? Verse 18 says, my little children, 
Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know what that verse says? You know what my translation of that verse says? Talk is cheap. Oh, you know, we sing our songs, right? You know, onward to the crowd before us. Soon we sing all the great old hymns and we sing the song. Bless God, praise the Lord. Amen. Great message, Pat. Great message, this guy. Oh, bless God for this. Oh, I got some tracks in my pocket. And you're just, you explode on your brethren every time they step out of line on you. You got no patience with each other. You got no long suffering with each other. You got no charity towards each other. That Bible says, I don't know. Your talk is cheap. If you can't exercise that faith, 1 John 3, 14. You know what he's saying? He's saying, prove it. Let's not just love in word. Let's love in deed and in truth. 1 John 3, 14, look what it says there. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. The love of Christians doesn't just help me perceive the love of God. The love of Christians is proof that you know God. It's proof that you've been born again. It's evidence that you now know the Savior who loved you enough to die for you. Doesn't that make sense? People say, well, how do I know I'm saved? How do you know you're saved? That verse says your love for the brethren should be an indication that you are walking with God. How can you be in God's family and not have the natural affection for God's family? Isn't that weird? If you saw a dad or a mom not love their new baby, right? There's something in us, right? I know Stephen. I know, I know, I know some of you got little ones, Stephen and Mark. I know you'd probably forget about it. You know, I know Eugene has his little boy. I met him last week. You'd step in front of a car for that little one. You'd take a hit for that little one. You'd do anything for that little one. Why? Because they're yours. They're in the family, right? Now, I could get on that table and get those transfusions. I would do it for my son. That's, some, that's natural affection. It's not extraordinary. It's natural affection. Even animals have that type of love and care for their own. What's wrong with us? That we don't have any, that some of us, it's like, what's, what strange doctrine is this that you bring to our ears, right? What new teaching is this? No, it's the same you've heard from the beginning, the apostle said. That we're supposed to love one another, love one another. Have you ever bumped into another brother or sister from church at the store? Don't, doesn't something inside of you get that little smile inside of you? Doesn't something, I'm talking to the right crowd then. When you see each other out somewhere and you, ooh, it's sister so-and-so. Oh, it's brother so-and-so. Or you're the one, oh, goodness. <laughs> I know you're busy, but I'm sure you say hello. If it, brother, it's good to see you. I'm in a hurry. But I don't know. I see one of you out somewhere, or I see you walk down that hallway, or I see you sitting there. You know, something inside of me just smiles. Something inside is pleased. Something inside is happy, is joyful to be in the presence of my brethren. I don't feel that when I walk into the job at 6.30 in the morning and punch my card and see the disgruntled this and the disgruntled that and the miserable this and the miserable that. I don't get that joy. No, I like the folks I work with a lot. I think they're the best teachers I've ever met. They're great folks. But I, there's something deep down, man. Some, something inside you goes, oh, that's your brother. Oh, that's your sister. Oh, so you ever, man, you know one of the reasons why I like to have our own building? I like to not have to just run out of this place. And just church end, and we can sit outside on the grass and just chat the afternoon away, go get lunch, and I have to pack stuff up. You know why? Because that's, that's a family. That's a family. 
And that's what the Holy Spirit wants. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know, can I tell you something? This family of God, the family of God you're a part of, goes into eternity. Your physical family ends at the grave. Now, I know if you've got saved family, you'll be going together into that family of God. But listen, this thing is eternal. And all the stuff you put in front of this thing ends when you kick the bucket. It doesn't last. So we make concessions for this one and that one. And we say, but our family this and my family that. And I get it. Love your family. Be with your family. Enjoy your family. But don't lose perspective, brethren. This is the family. In a hundred years, this is going to be your family. Not your lost grandfather and not your lost aunt. Love them to death while you can, but don't lose perspective who your real family is that's going into eternity. 1 John 4.20, look at this. Stay with me now. 1 John 4.20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he, John is tough, man. John is direct. John does not pull He is a liar. But he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? The Bible says you're a liar if you say you love God but not your brother. Because you can't see God. You're telling me you can't love the sister you can see, but you can love the God you can't see? Talk is cheap. This is how you show that you really love the one you can't see by loving the one you can see. Listen, I'd be really insulted if you told me, I love you, but I hate your children. <laughs> you tell me that, I'm, 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 I don't know, I'm going to hold my earrings. We're going we're gonna to start... I'm going to start tangling a little bit. You know, it might get a little tight up in here, right? You love God? Do you love his family? Do you love his children? Don't insult him. Go to 1 John chapter 2. You say, why do some Christians then, they could be saved, I know. But why do they lose that love for other Christians? If you've lost your love for Christians, can I tell you right now without any diagnosis of your specific situation, something is wrong with your walk. There's something wrong with your heart and you'll walk with God if you don't love the brethren. 1 John 2, 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. If you've lost your love for Christians, those verses tell me something is wrong with your walk. Verse 9 says, you've been hanging out in the dark too long. You're a child of light and you've been rolling with child children of the night for too long. You've gotten used to their company too long. You've gotten used to their pleasures too long. You've been rolling and fellowshipping with the children of Belial too long and you forgot the love for the children of the day and the children of the light. Verse 11 says, if you spend too much time in the dark, you know what's going to happen? You ain't going to see right. Your eyes are going to get maladjusted and you're going to be blind You're not going to know where you are if you're in the dark. 
And verse 10 says, if you're not seeing right because you're hanging in the dark too long, guess what's going to happen? You're going to stumble and you're going to fall. It's going to happen. I wonder if you were called to the witness stand and had to give a compelling argument for your conversion. Prove to me that you're saved. Prove to me that you're a child of God. Prove to me that you know Jesus Christ. You know, it'd be one of your great evidences. Your love for your brethren. It's a compelling argument that you know the one that loved you enough to die for you. Go back to John chapter 13. Look at verse 35. It's compelling your love for each other. It helps us perceive the love of God. It helps prove that you love God. And lastly here, John 13, 35, it's persuasive. That's why it's so compelling. See John 13, 35? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye have love one to another. The love of Christians for other Christians persuades the world that we're really following Jesus Christ. Now, I don't get it either. Because if I finished that verse, I'd say, by our King James Bible, they're all going to know. Or by our doctrinal statement, they're all going to know. But by our ministries, they're going to know. And Jesus says, no. Now, all those things are important. I love my King James Bible. I love our ministries. I want more of them. I love, you need to have the right doctrine. All those things are necessary. But that's not going to persuade a lost world. What's going to persuade a lost world is the way you relate to each other. Doesn't make sense to me either. That's why it's God. The way you conduct yourselves among yourselves is a great persuading proof to the world outside that you really know the Savior that died for us. The watching world doesn't care and they don't understand your dispensational chart. You can show it to them. They don't get it. They're like, what? Huh? Daniel's 70th what? They don't get that. You know what they get? They get somebody laying down some time for somebody else. They get somebody laying down some energy for somebody else. They get somebody laying down their life for somebody else. The lost are convinced you're following Christ when they see you loving each other the way Christ loved you. Sacrificially. You know what we've done a lot of times? We help people move. We haven't done it in a while. Someone's going to text me after this service and be like, I'm moving, right? But you know what happens when that happens? When we help move somebody, all the lost people around that person moving are blown away. Who did that for you? Your church? I've moved a couple of times. I've never had to hire a mover. I've just thrown it out to some of my brethren. And I've thankfully had an army come out. You know what that is? That's a testimony to your neighbors. When somebody's making meals for you and they see that happening. You know what? That's a, what church are you from? What are you a part of? What is that? That tells them, whoa, you got something different. You give, these guys would give up a Saturday to go pack a truck and unload it somewhere else. Now, please, we're getting older. I mean, you know, uh, but listen, we're supposed, that shows the world that we know Jesus Christ. And finally, John chapter 15, last thing about this love, and then I'll, I'll quit. It's, com- it's compelling. It's commanded. And we disciples, and every disciple I'm talking to you, we disciples are supposed to love each other because it's cleansing. It cleanses us. It helps us get clean again. John 15, 13. How did Jesus Christ show his disciples his love? John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay 
down his life for his friends. How did Jesus Christ show his love? By laying down his life for his disciples. Romans 5.8 says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10 says, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to take the wrath for our sins. Man, I like to preach on that verse for the rest of my life. He took the wrath that I deserve. He took the anger that I deserve. He, he had pity on us. He had pity on your soul. You think your beads are going to get you to heaven? You think your church attendance is going to get you to heaven? You think your baptism is going to get you to heaven? When God let his son shed his very blood that you might have your sins taken away, Jesus Christ shed his blood. Why? To cleanse us from all our sin. Amen? Thank you, Lord, is right. Amen, amen. You know what we say about that? That's love. That's not a concept, that's an action. That's not a fuzzy feeling like, I love you, you love me. That guy's very scary. But you know what? It's an action. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? To cleanse us. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all our sin. Hallelujah. Proverbs ten twelve says, love covereth all sin." Jesus Christ's love takes away your sin so you can be saved. Woo! Hallelujah. Now go to John chapter 13. Let me show you something. We're staying right. John 13, 13. No, John 13, 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Please note, Jesus Christ didn't call us to cleanse each other's sins. Amen? Jesus Christ did that work himself once for all forever. Amen? That is done. It is finished. He's not telling us to reach down into our soul because no man can. Father McGillicuddy, Rabbi Wexman, Imam Schubert. There's no Imam Schubert's probably in the world. But Imam, you know, Ali, this, a bat, boom, bing, bong, right, whatever it is. Nobody can get down into your soul. And I wasn't trying to be flippant or insulting. Just they can't get down into your soul. Jesus Christ didn't call us to reach down into our souls and take away sins because we've got our own sins to die for. I can't die for your sins no matter how much I wish I could because I'm going to die for my own sins as a sinner. He did call you. Look at um, He did call you, though, to wash each other's feet. That's a different washing. You see verse number 10? He says, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't need to get washed again and again and again. It says you're clean every whit. Every spot has been blotted out by the blood of Christ, but you got to still wash your feet. You see that? You got to still wash your feet. If you're washed in Christ's blood, say amen. amen. Okay, if you're washed in Christ's blood, only your feet need cleansing. The blood cleanses your soul so you could be saved. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ did that once for all, forever. The book cleanses your feet so you can serve. And Christians got to do that work every day. Because your feet are the only parts of you that make contact with this cursed earth. 
No other part of me is touching the earth right now, but my feet. And your feet, when you're coming and going, are still making contact with this dirty world. And in the Old Testament, the tabernacle had all kinds of furniture. But you know what it didn't have? It didn't have a floor. There was no floor in that tabernacle. So your feet would get dirty even while you were serving the Lord. Even though you were coming in and out and bringing those sacrifices like those Levites and those priests, your feet were still walking on a dirty earth and getting all up in your feet and they had to be washed. And in the New Testament, guess what? Your feet will get dirty even though you're a disciple and even though you're walking with God. Because there's part of you that's still making contact with this filthy earth. This part of you has still got to see filthy things and hear filthy words and deal with filthy people, even the ones you're trying to help. They got their dirt, their smudges. Even as you're trying to minister, like those disciples are going to minister, they were still, like those Old Testament priests, be going in and out, and they'd still be making contact with this dirty earth and getting dirty. Now, what did they have in the tabernacle? In the tabernacle, they had a laver, this big like washing area with a glass in it. They could see themselves and wash. Those priests would go in there and they'd wash those hands and wash those feet coming and going so they could minister to God. But in the New Testament, you know what there is in the church? There's not a labor. There's love. There's love to cleanse our feet. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll pull this together for you here. Try to make sense of this. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is Christ's love for the church, his mystery of his body and all that stuff. In Ephesians 5.25, he says, Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? What did his love make him do? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ wants to cleanse his church with his words. He loves you so much. He wants to clean you up so you could stand in front of him and not be ashamed. But you got to help do it. You got to help do it. He'll raise you from the dead like Lazarus, but you got to help take the grave clothes off. He told the disciples, loose him and let him go. And Jesus Christ showed us. He gave you the word. He showed you the way. And he just wants your willingness. You got the word of God in your lap? You do. You got the example in your Bible? You do. Now you take that and you go apply that to somebody else and you help wash somebody else's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. He wants the church to be clean, but the water's not going to fall down out of the heavens. The Bible's not going to open itself up. Somebody's going to have to take it out and live it and apply it and minister it to somebody else so the body can help itself grow and edify itself to be that holy temple unto the Lord. You see that? God's love wants to cleanse you. Amen. But your love has got to do the deed. Your love has got to make it happen. Go back to John. We'll finish there in John 13. You say, how do we do that? That sounds weird. How do we do that? Well, let's look at the example. We'll finish with the example. How you minister this book to somebody else and wash their feet. I'll give you three quick things. It could be probably 100, but I'll give you three quick things out of here. He gave you the word. He showed you the way. He wants your willingness. Are you willing to do it? Amen. You're willing to be a Christian. I don't mean just full of Bible. 
I don't mean just know the answers to all the questions they ask you on the street. I meant a Christian. I mean a little Christ that would love your brother the way Christ loved you. That's what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about where the rubber meets the road. And in John 13, 4, you know what he's going to need to see? Jesus Christ, it says, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. You know, if you want to do this, if you're up for it, number one, you've got to humble yourself. The God of glory got up, laid aside his garment so that he could minister to his disciples. You know what he's clothed with? A garment of light, Psalm 104 says. You know what Jesus Christ laid aside to come down here and wash us? He laid aside his glory. Emptied of his glory, God became a man, the song says. You're going to have to humble yourself like that. Lay aside your glory. Lay aside your privilege. Lay aside, well, I'm right and he's wrong. Lay aside, well, I deserve this and they don't deserve that. Lay all that aside. Humble yourself that you might be able to serve someone else. That's number one. Number two, verse five, after that, he poureth water into a basin. Number two, you've got to hide God's word. There's got to be some water in your vessel so you can pour it out for somebody else. If you don't have any of this book tucked away in your heart, how are you going to help anybody else with it? You can't give somebody something you don't have. So if you're not walking with God, how are you going to help me walk with God? If you're not saved, you can't tell me, you can't help me get saved, right? If you're not walking with God, you can't help somebody else walk with God. And third, number one, humble yourself. Lay aside your glory. Number two, hide God's word in your heart so you got some that you could pour out and draw out of your vessel for somebody else. And number three, verse five, after that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Number three, you gotta get your hands dirty. You gotta, you think Jesus didn't get any mud under his fingernails while he was scrubbing the stuff out of Peter's feet? No, he got his hands dirty. You gotta be willing to get down and get your hands dirty and apply this book to helping your brother. Humble yourself, hide God's word in your heart, and help somebody with the Bible. And that means you might cry some tears, you might be betrayed, you might have your heart broken, you might get frustrated, you might get dragged down, you might get depressed, you might get vexed, but you know what? If that's what Jesus was willing to do for me, I should be willing to do that for you. He was willing to do that for disciples who in the next few hours were going to forsake him and flee. And you want to follow his steps? you got to be willing to get down Ephesians 4.32 is a verse you might have taught your kids. I taught them this, this verse. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Great verse, amen? amen? That's a useless verse if it stays on the page. I don't need another sermon on that verse. I need you to live that verse. I don't need you to tell me about the mystery of the one body and how Ephesians fits in Pauline epistles and Paul's ministry and all that stuff about the walk in chapter 4 and the stuff in chapters 1 to 3 and what he means by that and illustrations of forgiveness in the Old Testament. You notice, this isn't about preaching. This isn't about us standing around and preaching at each other. No, it's not. It's about taking the book and doing something with it. Actually, don't tell me about forgiveness. Forgive me when I wrong you. 
Don't tell me about what it means to be tenderhearted and oh, here come to the garden alone while the dew, oh, he's so, and he walks. Yeah, can you be tenderhearted to me now? When I'm a doofus, can you have some patience with me? Right? Can you have some compassion? I Well, Matthew 9, 36, you know, he had compassion on the multitude. I don't need you to, I'm glad you memorized the verse, but I need you to live it. I need you to draw it out of your vessel and apply the book to my life where I sit like a fool and help me. That's going to wash my feet. It can't stay on the page. It's got to be in person. As an educator, we whine about remote learning. It was a disaster. Okay? It was a disaster. And if Andrew Cuomo's listening, it was a disaster. We got kids now that can't add, can't read, can't relate. Because, look, we did the best we could. I'm not faulting anybody, but it didn't work. You know what works? In person. The abstract Christianity that you read about in a book, you got to read it, learn it, study it. But you know what's got to really make an impact? In person. In person learning. That's how you'll learn about God when you apply it when you're a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. That's your sacrifice, to wash your brother's feet so he can walk with a holy God again. What gets you right with God? The fact that God still loves you and has patience with you and forgives you and that helps you rise up one more time, not the fact that he steps on your neck and says, you're no good, stay down. No, what's going to help you as a Christian when another brother says, hey man, you made a mistake. Let's, let's get up together. Lean on me if you have to. And let's do this one more time, man. Let's try one more time. Send, make that call. Send that text. Send that card. They step on your toes. They blow it. They step all over you. You forgive them. You try again. You say, but I'm going to get hurt. Welcome to the ministry. Welcome to being a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, in 2004... Corporal Jason Dunham, you probably don't know that name, but the Marines know that name. Corporal Jason Dunham threw his body on a grenade to save his fellow Marines. They were over there in Iraq, April of 2004. They were in a firefight helping some of their brothers, some of their fellow Marines, and they were searching vehicles. And Jason got into a fight with an insurgent and he pulled the pin and there was a grenade. And they says, without hesitation, Jason Dunham threw his helmet and his body on top of the grenade to save his fellow Marines. And Jason died shortly after from the injuries. And in 2007, Dunham posthumously received the Medal of Honor, the highest award you could receive in the military. You know what that tells me? If you're willing to lay down your life for your brothers, when you're done, Jesus Christ has got a reward for you. If the world knows it, Christ knows it better. And Jesus Christ has a great reward for you at the judgment seat of Christ. My question and my challenge to you is, are you willing to lay your life down to wash your brother's feet so he can live to fight another day? That's the challenge. Spurgeon said, if such was his great kindness toward us, that he denied himself his own son for our sake, ought we not to be kindly affectioned one toward another? In other words, if you know the love of Christ, the love that laid down a life for you, shouldn't you love your brother like Jesus Christ loves you? That's the love of Christians. That's the love we're supposed to have. Anything less is not the love that we're supposed to have. So I challenge you, rend your heart, 
Don't talk a big game. Just do it. When you're offended, when you're stepped on, when somebody needs to be forborn long, you be the one that pours out that water out of the basin and says, oh, I know there's a verse about that. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and let that application wash somebody else's feet. Why? So they can get clean, then go on and fight for God again. Let's stand together and pray.